Now, the monument of Luke Kelly, designed by Vera Clute on Guild Street in Dublin, near Sheriff Street, has been vandalised. Again, and you might be suddenly wondering whether we are replaying a Hidden Histories from a previous month gone past. No, 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 it's been vandalised again. That is the fifth time in a little over a year that it's been vandalised, which makes it one of the most vandalised monuments in the history of the capital, or indeed, uh, more broadly, in Ireland. It sort of begs the question, why do these things happen? And it turns out that really, for as long as there's been monuments and artworks in our public spaces... They've always been targeted for some sort of desecration and not just necessarily as political works. Even fibreglass cows have been vandalised in recent years. Donald Fallon is with us to tell us more about the fibreglass cows and everything else. I'm looking forward to getting back to the fibreglass cows because they've, they've fallen out of collective <laughs> conscious memory for a while, haven't they? We're getting very sociological here for a, for a Sunday morning on, on why people, you know, vandalise monuments and art uh, in the public sphere. And it's a real pity, to be honest, yeah. uh, that, we, that we're doing this slot. Is, is it sort of uniquely Irish, the idea of, of constantly vandalising art like that? Uh, a couple of years ago, the, the Tate Gallery in London, they put on a, a brilliant exhibition called Art Under Attack. And it was about you know the history of monuments uh, around the world, which have been vandalised, torn down, ridiculed. And actually, if you did that exhibition now, it would be a very different exhibition because of the monuments in kind of Southern American states, the Civil War monuments mm. and the stuff in the Ukraine. But I, I'm ashamed to say that Art Under Attack in the Tate Gallery in London, Ireland had two rooms devoted to herself in that exhibition. And we have a long history of vandalised public artwork uh, and statues in this, in this, not just in the city, in this country. But what's surprising is that it concerns not merely the symbols of the old enemy. I mean, we all know that, you know, Nelson's Pillar was, was bombed, so mm. to speak. But monuments to, to poets, you know, artistic pieces, fiberglass cows, we could go on and on and on. And why does this happen? Why are monuments particularly at risk on the streets in Ireland? Well, I'm not entirely sure, but that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, we've already talked about it on the show today, but actually I'm just tickled by your reference to some of the, the monuments in, in southern US states. I saw a tweet yesterday from the living heir of Louis XVI, who was having a go <laughs> at his predecessor's monument being pulled down, presumably because it wasn't being beheaded as was historically appropriate. Um, <laughs> but you know, there you go. There's always somebody who's cribbing about it. Uh, but the Vera Clute work, uh, the sculpture of Luke Kelly, it's a kind of a new kind of monument as well, isn't it? It is. And, you know, I've I, I my words when it comes to this monument, because I remember talking about it uh, on News Talk when it was unveiled. And at the time, I didn't really like it, you know, but it's grown on me. It's more than two metres tall, just a head. It rests on a pedestal. And when it, when it went up, I don't know if this was praise or criticism. I still can't tell. But the Irish Times described it as Luke Kelly as a looming, slightly terrifying stone head, machine tooled from Libyan marble and garnished with a mesh of orange wire hair. And when you go down and have a look at it, because it's the kind of piece of art you really have to go down and you have do. a look at. You do have to, to see appreciate it. it. I really came to love it. You know, it's big, it's bold, it's brass. And you know, Luke was all of those things. It's kind of perfect for its, its subject. And, you know, it stands out. And I think much like the poor old fiberglass cows in 2003, that may be the root of the problem in all of this. Often statues just blend into the landscape. We talked about John Gray a few weeks ago. Most people are walking by his statue for years and never noticed it mm, on O'Connell Street. Yeah. By comparison, this Luke Kelly head, you know, you're not going to miss it. And they put up a bronze statue to Luke on the same day, John Cald's memorial uh, on the other side of town. Yeah, only a few minutes away from here, yeah. And no one's touched it. You know, it's a very traditional monument. Uh, no one's gone near it. But this thing, by comparison, stands out. And I think that may be the root of, of, of some of the problem. Yeah, I'd forgotten that uh, not only was there the five different acts of vandalism, but they also had to treat his hair because didn't it rust for a little while? And then he started looking <laughs> yeah. blonde, which was the complete antithesis to what Luke Kelly was supposed to be remembered as. Um, once upon a time, and, and this gets us to the whole topic of monuments and why they might be targeted. Like Once upon a time, the idea of putting a monument somewhere it was very straightforward. 
like like who got a monument, you know, historically, who, who was entitled to have a monument? The idea of putting up a monument to a singer, you know, in centuries gone by would have been just totally unimaginable. I mean, monuments were designed by their nature to politicise space. And in Dublin, I mean, in the 18th century, the first statue that goes up, 1701, is King William of Orange. That's 11 years after the Battle of the Boyne. King William of Orange is still alive. But interestingly, the, the, that statue, while it's vandalised a lot over its kind of 200 odd years uh, at the site in College Green, mostly it's vandalised by messers and not by kind of, you know, people making a political sure, point. Yeah. So students from Trinity College Dublin, which was the most Protestant institution in Dublin until arguably into the 1970s, when the Catholic Church dropped the ban on Catholics going there. Students from Trinity often are the ones who are vandalising King William of Orange, for the most part because they're drunk, you know, rather than they're making any kind of great political point. Mm. And one early 20th century guidebook to the city that I, I picked it up abroad in a second-hand bookshop, it talked about that statue brilliantly. It said it has been insulted, mutilated and blown up so many times that the original figure, never particularly graceful, is now a battered wreck, piece, pieced and patched together like an old, worn-out garment. <laughs> but as the century went on and Dublin got more nationalist, you know, the corporation got more, more nationalist in the 19th century, they started putting up monuments to people like Daniel O'Connell. So, I mean, the, the, the aim of statues and monuments was always to reclaim street space and the way people think about streets. Did you tell me that that uh, blurb you got there from the William of Orange statue was from a second-hand tour book of Dublin that you bought abroad? <laughs> a, a guidebook to Dublin picked up in, I think, Shakespeare and Company many months ago. <laughs> Only you could go abroad and then come back with a tour guide to the city that you, you yourself give walking tours of from time to time. That, that's the most Donald Fallon anecdote there has ever been. Um, is there anywhere in Ireland which has a, a stronger or, or a, perhaps, I don't know whether you want to say, a prouder track record uh, for for defacing monuments like this than others? Uh, Galwegians can claim the honour of, of, of discarding really? the first imperial monument after after independence. Uh, and, you know, anyone who... I think it's a real pity what happened to a lot of those monuments because if, you, if anyone listening has ever been to a kind of major Eastern European city, uh, you often encounter what they call kind of monument parks. And basically what they've done in, in Lithuania and Latvia and other places is they've taken the old kind of Soviet memorials and just put them back up in a neutral space. So again, it goes back to this idea of what statues are meant to do. They're meant to change the main streets, the main squares. But when you put them in a park somewhere else, they kind of lose that power, you know, and you can walk around these parks and look at Stalin and, and Lenin and, and everything else. Mm. But it was Galway and not Dublin, which kind of took down the first relic of the old order. It was a monument to Lord Dunkellen, who was a kind of distinguished British army soldier, local landlord. And days after the Free State was born, the people of Galway, you know, like, like, like Rag Week, just carried them off literally from Air Square, flung them into the river. And local lore has it that they marched behind the band through the streets who were playing the tune I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, which is one of the great tunes of the day. <laughs> so Gal Galwegians were the first ones, if you will, to, to discard uh, an old imperial relic. So Lord Dunkellen, obviously not a West Ham fan either. Um, Gal Galwegians, <laughs> uh, you, you have in your notes here, like th they kept at it, that it wasn't just this one instance, they kept doing it. Because you could say, OK, Lord Dunkellen, that's a British imperial figure and you know the Irish in their new independent state should have every right to throw yeah, into the sure. sea. But Galway, much like Dublin, just maintain this, you know, curio curious obsession with monuments in a broader sense. So Porrigo Cunera, who is one of our greatest ever Irish language writers, he had a bronze statue uh, unveiled by Dev, again in Air Square in the 1930s. And, you know, for reasons God only knows, that statue was decapitated, like beheaded in 1999. And poor Porrigo's monument, they ended up moving it indoors to the, to the Galway Museum where they could keep an eye on it. And Michael D in recent years, Michael D is a great admirer of Porrigo Cunera, 
uh, unveiled a replica of the original uh, in in our square. But it's absolutely baffling. You know, why would anyone behead the monument of an Irish language writer in Galway of all places? So yeah. divilment again is often at the heart of why yeah. these things are done. Or an homage to Jebediah Springfield or something. Uh, <laughs> we, we talked about uh, that. That's Galway, but there's there's quite a few famous Dublin victims who fall and fell of this as well. Endless. Lord Goff in the Phoenix Park beheaded, mutilated, bombed on more than one occasion. I mean, he was a, that was a, a your your classic kind of. Uh, British statue of a, yeah. a, a guy sitting on a horse. The Being, great equestrian statues. Being bombed more than once is, is quite an accolade in and of itself as well, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Dublin has no equestrian statues today. But there, there was one outside a nightclub, Break for the Border. And now there's a great one in Ballymun, which is actually based on the Lord Goff statue. But it's a kid in an Adidas tracksuit sitting on a mould of Lord Goff's statue in Phoenix Park, which <laughs> okay. is great. Uh, Nelson, of course, the famous one, Nelson's sure. Pillar. The pillar had such a presence it just dominated the centre of the street. And I don't think it will ever be forgotten because the spire is tall too. So the spire kind of instantly recalls uh, Nelson's pillar. But the most curious act of vandalism in this area in Dublin will always be the, the, the so-called cow parade. Yes, in 2003. the cow parade, the fibreglass cows. Now, I have to be honest that I'd completely forgotten any reference of the fibreglass cows. So uh, bring us back up to speed on this. This went, to, it was a, a travelling art show for charity. It went to 70 cities. It went to New York. And I mean, everywhere in New York, from Queens to the Bronx to, to Lower Manhattan. It went to Istanbul, Milan, London. And then they bring this thing to, to Dublin. And the fiberglass cows are basically painted by famous people from the world of not only the arts, but you know, broader society. So you have people like uh, Robert Bala, John Russia, and then you had people like Andrea Kaur, celebrities that were brought in. And they put 10 of them on the streets of Dublin uh, as an initial plan for around 70 in total. Okay. The 10 were vandalised within days. One of them was decapitated. Uh, another one had its wings cut off. And I, the one I'll, I'll never forget seeing, I was very young at the time, but it stayed with me, was on Liffey Street outside where the, the Grand Social Pub is. Okay. And that was vandalised in such a way that, I mean, you could tell by looking at it, someone had taken a hacksaw to the piece. And one commentator at the time said that in other cities, the public loved the cows so much that they would defend them if anyone tried to vandalise them. But in Dublin, the cows were smashed, stolen, beheaded and covered in graffiti even after the exhibit was officially over and the cows were moved to less public places. They brought them indoors, the likes of the Islac Shopping Centre, and people were still attacking these things. So, I mean, it's just absolutely extraordinary. It hasn't happened anywhere else. Yeah, and hard, hard to explain that as being political point making either as well. I mean, are we any the wiser really as to why Ireland, I mean, obviously, aside from colonial past and there being certain historical figures that you don't think are worthy of veneration anymore but that you know if you're going as far as fiberglass cows there must be something broader <laughs> to it can we figure out or do you have any hypothesis to, as to why the Irish are so prevalent at this at the time of the, the massacre of the cows you know every kind of foreign journalist from, from the New York Times to the, the London Review of Books was trying to understand what this was all about and they often went back to this thing about monuments in Dublin you know Nelson Goff uh, and the like. But I mean, that doesn't explain why poor Portugal Conor was beheaded or monuments we didn't even get to today, like the Bowl of Light and O'Connell Bridge that was chucked into the Liffey in the 50s. I think the answer, to be honest, is unfortunately, this being Ireland, probably lies in, in, in alcohol, you know, as much as any kind of mm. anti-colonial duty. I think definitely the drink was behind some of this vandalism in the 20th century. And the Luke Kelly monument, I think one thing I love about it, I've often got walked by it and you see the local community have just embraced it. There's kind of impromptu sing songs there or, you know, traditional music sessions just break out. People photographing their kids beside it. It's kind of become a real part of its its area. Mm. And it's a stone's throw from where Luke spent very early years of his life. So, 
I think people that say it should be moved, you know, move it somewhere more prominent where this won't happen. I think they missed the point entirely. You know, it, it deserves to be where it is. And I think we have a duty to make sure it stays there. And this is a total mystery. I mean, one journalist yesterday was I was talking to uh, on Twitter about this, said that the Gardaí don't necessarily believe, actually, that the same person has done this every time. They think multiple people have done it. So Luke has now joined a second illustrious band, you could say, uh, monuments that someone in Dublin has taken a dislike to. Yeah, it's a kind of a curious Irish trait that when you're so fond of someone that like when they're alive, you unmercifully take the piss out of them and then when they're dead, you just continually deface their statue because that's your <coughs> way of expressing fondness. Uh, fascinating stuff. Sure, maybe if anyone else has some theories as to why Luke Kelly has been vandalised so many times, maybe do let us know. 53106 or I'm on Twitter at Gav Riley. Donald, as ever, uh, thank you very much for bringing us up to speed on that. Donald Fallon is a historian. He is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the presenter of The Three Castles Burning Podcast which you can find on Apple Podcasts and indeed anywhere else that you get your podcast material. 